Now be happy and play happy. I'll try. Excellent! Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to episode number 32 of Odyssey Geek. This is Austin, your host, and I am super, super excited to have a brand new guest host on the podcast. I have lots of different guest hosts in the past, but this person is a little bit different because this person has actually worked on Adventures in Odyssey in a very unique way, and I'm so happy to be talking with him today. Welcome to the podcast, Aaron Fullen. Thank you, Austin. I am honored to be here. Uh, I was so thrilled when you asked me to be part of this. For those that don't know, Aaron is a music composer, actor, social media influencer, and any other titles I should mention? Or Oh, man. Too many to mention on this show, probably. I, I balance quite a few uh, different titles, but uh, those are the main three. Yeah, and dad, too. And dad, husband, father, friend, brother, son. Yeah. Probably should have mentioned those first, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now co-host, thanks to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, actually, Aaron is a co-host on another podcast, Two Dudes in a Corner. You want to tell people about that? Yeah, that was that was an interesting little... I had never done podcasting, and uh, my friend Kyle Hubner and I uh, decided last summer, hey, let's try this. Podcasting is becoming a pretty big thing. What do we talk about? We have no clue. We'll just talk about our lives because he was, uh, he's an entrepreneur. He owns three gyms and I do all sorts of crazy stuff working for myself as well. So we were like, well, our lives, at least according to our own standards, are interesting enough. So hopefully other people will think uh, our journey is interesting enough to talk about. So then we came up with a few different titles and had people vote on it. And it ended up being Two Dudes in a Corner. And we just talk about life. And we decided to do 20 episodes. We did 20. And, you know, we're not sure if we're going to continue to do it or not. But it's been a fun adventure. Well, if you all want to listen to that podcast, there'll be a link to it in the podcast notes. And if you enjoy it, you know, email blast Aaron and Kyle and say, hey, make more episodes. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> so. For those that don't know, Aaron has actually composed a couple episodes for Ventures and Aussie doing the music for them. That was for Always Home and The Protector. Going back even further than that, what inspired you to become a music composer in the first place? Oh boy. Well, it starts very uh, when I was very young. Uh, I had an interest in film music as early as I can remember. And I remember when all my friends were buying all the latest pop albums i was saving up to buy the latest star wars uh soundtrack and things like that so i knew very early on i had a different interest in music than many people my age for some reason the marriage of film and music fascinated me and, and really moved me and it was something that i wanted to do i didn't really know how i was going to do it you know i'm from for those of you who don't know, I'm from Iowa in a small town, didn't really have aspirations of moving out to the West Coast, to Hollywood to pursue, you know, this craft. Uh, so 
I didn't really know how I was going to do it, but I definitely had an interest. I, pl I played piano, uh, took piano lessons for many, many years, and I would just sit at the piano for literally hours and write music. I didn't write it down. Uh, I would just play and play and play my own original compositions. I remember I desperately wanted to write the music for the Chronicles of Narnia. And I had already started writing like themes for all of the various characters and lands and all that kind of stuff. And so when I heard, probably in what, 2004, that they were working on, you know, a reboot of the Narnias, you know, they had the old BBC version, but they were going to do the American versions. And I was devastated because I thought, this is, this was my project. I was going to do this, <laughs> but I'm only 13. So uh, needless to say, I didn't write the music for the new Narnias, but I just knew it was something I wanted to do. So fast forward, uh, I... I majored in music ministry in college um, with an emphasis on piano performance and only took one semester of composition. And that was enough for me. I was like, yep, okay, composition. <laughs> this is what I want to do. And then from there, I made a pitch to an entrepreneur that I worked for to fund my first studio because I got married right out of college, moved to a small town of 600 people and had no connections in the industry and just wanted to start. So I pitched to an entrepreneur. I said, hey, if you fund my first studio that I can't afford myself, I will write music for your entrepreneurial endeavors for free for the, like for my life. And he was like, hey, okay, sounds like a good deal. So he funded my first studio, uh, connected with John Campbell. Dun, da, 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 da. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's done a few Odyssey episodes. So he was like my first music composition mentor. And so he sent me everything he thought I should get for my studio, got set up in the basement of our apartment complex and started practicing my brains out. Again, no formal training on that stuff. I just sat for hours and hours and hours and practiced. First like gig that I remember having in the audio drama world Todd Bastide, he's a name that you might be familiar with as well. Oh, yeah. Sound designer for Adventures in Odyssey, works in a studio called Gap Digital. I worked on a short little audio drama series for him called Good Days Remembered. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Thrill of a lifetime for me because I just couldn't believe I was writing music that was being sound designed by the Todd Bastide. So that was huge for me, a big confidence booster slowly but surely have been uh, growing since then, connected with a um, music supervisor out in LA who helped me uh, connect with the right people and, and build a career out of music as well as acting. That's a whole nother side of my life and story. But since March of last year, I've been doing all of this stuff full time, wow. which has been amazing. For a long time, I had a full full-time job and I would only work on music late into the evening after I got off work. Then I had a part-time job for a while and did music because I had built up enough clientele that I was getting some work. And then it's only been about a little over a year of full-time doing what I love, doing what I feel I was put on the planet to do, which is so rewarding. Wow. That's awesome. Living the dream. Living the dream. Yeah. Well, speaking of dreams, let's talk about what a lot of people are probably most interested in hearing about, although your life is really interesting. I've been, again, I've listened to Two Dudes in a Corner and following your career for quite a while. So a lot of cool things happening, but 
for people listening, you know, this is an Odyssey podcast, so I'm sure people are wanting to know, how did you get your first job composing for Ventures in Odyssey? That, yes, is a long and sordid story. No, um, Mark Drury uh, is another name you might recognize, yep, yep. classic Odyssey fans, uh, worked for Adventures in Odyssey in the 90s, uh, maybe late 80s, I don't remember exactly when he started, but him and I became friends during, uh, I worked for a company called Heirloom Audio. I was an associate producer. Big fan of that series myself. Yes. Extraordinary Adventures of G.A. Henty. Mark Drury worked on those. And we met, went to London a couple times. So we really became good friends. And then Mark started working at Focus on the Family again, uh, five-ish or so years ago. And really wanted me to be part of the Adventures in Odyssey family. He introduced me to the right people. And I got a call. Jonathan Crow uh, reached out and said, we've been hearing a lot about you. And Dave Arnold, and I would like to speak with you and uh, have a call about possibly you doing an episode uh, of Adventures in Odyssey, the musical score, because John Campbell can't always, you know, he's super, super busy, if you can believe that, after how many years of writing for Adventures in Odyssey. So, you know, we want to be working with some other younger composers uh, just because we have a, a long view of this series. We want to look, you know, 50 years down the road. We want to think best case scenario, the show continues to go on and on. So we want to start testing young composers. So had a call with Dave Arnold and uh, Jonathan Crow, which went very, very well. I was kind of a little bit, you know, fanboying over talking with Dave Arnold. I'm sure he was painfully aware of that. <laughs> and so it was so fun, though, because we basically did what we're doing here. We talked about our favorite episodes uh, of Adventures in Odyssey, musically speaking, and why I thought music was so important to the show and uh, all those big picture conversations. And so ended the conversation, said, hey, uh, great meeting you. We'll, we'll talk and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll let you know either way what we decide. Then I waited, waited, and finally heard back that they were ready to give me a, a crack at it. So Jonathan Crow uh, sent me the episode, Always Home. I remember when he called me, he said, Aaron, I think you're going to love this show based on, because I'm an old soul as far as my Odyssey taste, which you're going to be able to tell from my top music choices. I think my favorite decade of Odyssey is like 1990 to 2000, that I think they hit their stride in that decade. Um, and so he was like, this show is a throwback. Um, it brings back some of the old, you know, and one in particular, Tom Riley, an old character uh, that you'll want to, you'll want to hear about again. So he was right. It's such a nostalgic episode. And the story behind how I, I don't know if you want to go into that, but how I wrote that episode uh, I was very specific and I did a lot of research um, when I was writing for that episode and they liked it because they asked me uh, to do another episode a while later. So it was through Mark Drury and then Jonathan Crow, and then obviously Dave Arnold had to, to approve it. But that's kind of that was my pathway in. Yeah. And I know you have a you did a video about the whole process. I'll link to that in the podcast notes as well. So if Sweet. you want to hear more about that. But yeah, that was that was great. I was super excited when I saw that you're gonna be doing something for Odyssey. Like, oh, that's gonna be so awesome. And then hearing that episode, like Marshall Younger wrote a really great script with that for both storylines, but 
you know, bringing back those old music cues, kind of like from, you know, Recollections and, yep. um... Mortal oh, Coil. Yeah, the Mortal Coil, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's a good first first effort. It's like, if you want people to like your music, you make them cry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Pull out the emotions. And what was fun, I remember when uh, Chris uh, Anthony Lansdowne, she, who's the host, the voice of Chris, she and I had met a number of years ago when we were working on uh, with Lee in Virginia oh, yeah. for Heirloom Audio. And she was one of the characters. And so I got to meet her in the studio out in Burbank, California. And we hit it off. So we had been in touch since then. And, I, and she texted me when she found out I had finally reached that point in my career that I finally got to. Pinnacle of success. Thank you. Yeah, it was my dream come true, literally, to work with Adventures in Odyssey one day. And so when she found out, because she had read the script and she was reading the credits, and she said, music composed by Aaron Fullen, she recorded that for me and sent it to me and just was like, I was so excited to see your name on the script. Um, So that was... That was a thrill, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Connie was in the episode, and I, you know, that was, she's one of, the, obviously, the the bulwarks of this show. So it was, it was surreal. Yeah, I'm sure. And then you later came back to do the music for The Protector as well, and hopefully we get to hear you uh, do some more music in future Odyssey episodes. I'm hoping so. You and me both. We've talked a lot about music here, and in case you haven't looked at the title of this episode... We are going to be talking about our top five favorite Odyssey music scores. You know, a lot of people have favorite episodes or least favorite episodes or favorite sagas or whatever, but I don't hear too many people talk about the music behind the episodes. I don't like doing solo episodes that often, but this is a topic especially I wanted someone that knows music in and out. So if I make a very novice mistake in mispronouncing some term, musical term or something like that, I need someone here to correct me. <laughs> I'll be very gracious, Austin. So gracious. Well, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I mean, I'm not that, I'm not very musically trained. Like I've sung with my family year, for many years and I took piano up until like my high school years, but I haven't done much since. So I'm not musically trained like you are. So it's going to be great to have you know, there's two different perspectives on what music makes us feel, the emotions the episode brings across, and the technical aspect behind it as well. All right, so you ready to get started? I'm so ready. I'm pumped for this. This was hard for, just to throw this out there, this was (laughs) so hard for me to narrow down to my top five. Because as we know, how many, I don't know what the current episode count. It is getting close to a thousand, is it not? Yeah, I think we're over 950 now. Okay, see, so... Out of 900 plus episodes, it's hard to come up with the top five, but I went with my gut as you're supposed to do with any test taking and things like that, but it was a challenge. So thanks for challenging me, Austin. I like to be challenged. All right. Well, we'll see if you'll still like it once we're done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with you being the guest on the podcast, why don't you go first with your number five? Okay. Number five, I'm going to say... First Love. Hmm, wow. For those of you who don't remember the episode, and I have a little inside story on this. Ooh, nice. Uh, because I'm here to give you little inside scoops as, I, as I'm as i able. Dave Arnold listed First Love as one of his favorite musical episodes, which I thought was really interesting because it was already one of my favorite. And he remembers when that, when John Campbell wrote the music for this episode in particular, and 
a particular scene is is what made it stand out when Connie has to break up with her first boyfriend, her first love. That entire scene is so emotionally charged. Katie Lee is obviously a brilliant actress and she handled the scene so well. I'm sure the music flowed easily for John um, because as a fellow composer, when you have actors like Katie Lee delivering lines, it literally makes your job so much easier than if you're dealing with someone who's not as experienced as Katie is. So this particular scene in First Love, Connie, you can just feel the heartbreak and John Campbell brings out this gloriously nostalgic, like, again, I'm I'm dating myself. I'm 33 years old, my heyday. This happens with anybody who grows up in a certain era. They have their favorite films from their childhood, you know, favorite al- music albums from their childhood. My favorite odysseys were all in this kind of of the quote unquote early years. So there's this old uh, old orchestration, 80s, 90s vibe, but absolutely heart wrenching. And I don't know, he just manages to make you make all of us feel like we're breaking up with our first love. Um, and again, that's the goal of music. Whatever emotions already there to enhance that and to bring it to the forefront, to not distract from what's going on. It didn't overpower the scene, but I find myself every time listening to that scene, the whole blend of emotion, music, acting, all of that stuff, just boom, hits me hard. And yes, I have teared up in that episode, in case you're wondering. No shame in that. No shame in all of the episodes that I'm listing. I think I've teared up in all five of them. So you can tell uh, which, what type of music affects me. So there's my number one, Austin, first love. Or not number one, number five. Yeah, that, that's a good choice. I haven't heard that episode as many times, but I, I'm picturing the scene, that last scene. I can't remember if that's the last scene of the episode or there's a follow-up scene with either Wit or her mom after that. Correct. There is one final scene after okay. that, but it's it's near the end. Doesn't the music continue through both of those scenes? The same music or whatever? I think so. I think so. Yep. Good memory, Austin. Yeah, if I remember it right. And there's very few odysseys that end on a sad note. Mm-hmm. Like Karen or... Correct. Or um, uh, Kurt. Where the hurt is. Yes, his dad. That one ends sad. First love doesn't end that sad, but it doesn't, you know, it leaves you with a feeling of, you know what? Life can be hard this way sometimes. Yeah. Totally. That's a really good choice. Thank you. I, I, I don't think I ever would have thought of that one, but now it's like, oh yeah, that actually really is a good one. I need to go back and listen to that. Please do. What's your number five? So mine is probably one of the more recent Odyssey episodes. It's called Knoxville on Love. And that one, Jared Pasquale did the music for it. Mm. I'm not sure if you've heard this yet. It's one of the club episodes, but it's a new series that Phil Lawler has started called Knox On. Basically the character of uh, Pastor Wilson Knox it's a podcast where he tells different stories about a certain subjects. So Knox on Love, second one they did was Knox on Sacrifice. And when I had I'd messaged Phil Lawler about how much I liked the episode and just like the whole tone of it, he said, when I was talking about like how it made me feel or kind of like the sense I got from it, he said, you know, this, about the episode, the story should fill you with a sense of longing and a tinge of sadness and make you want to behave like the heroes in the story behave. And... Some of, the, some of the adjectives I threw out was like, it sounds contemplative and kind of wistful. I think that's you know, one that he mentioned was wistful. Hmm. But the music in it, it's not real over, 
well, I'm not sure what the word word is. It's kind of understated for a good portion of it. Um, the first story is about a woman that's wanting to break up with her husband, but she's giving a a challenge to it's kind of reverse psychology to a certain extent on how to love her husband. And then we have a second story about this man who's helping this girl with find this lost doll. And there's a really long montage of different letters. I won't. I'm assuming you haven't heard the story yet, so I'm. Gonna, I haven't yet. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be vague here, but there's kind of a a montage of these different countries where these letters are coming from, supposedly. And he goes from like Scotland, I think, England, Africa, South America, Italy. He goes to the, all these different ones. So Jared gets to really show off his his full repertoire, basically, of all these international music very quickly. And usually we don't get a lot of that unless it's like a full episode takes place in a certain country. But it's right. kind of cool to hear just how he can just, you know, do those music cues and make them, you know, sound different enough. And also the last story, which is a true story. Actually, the second story might be a true story, too. But the second one takes place during World War II about some people that did some unbelievable stuff to help keep Jews safe from the Nazis. And that story has some of my favorite music that Jared's ever done. And it's basically like a melody from a piano. It's like, da, 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 da. It's mainly just piano for a lot of that. Hmm. For like, it's the beginning and the end. And, you know, Wilson's narration or his announcing of it or introducing the story is just so beautiful. And like Phil said, like a tinge of sadness, but longing. And like, it's just a very thoughtful piece. And just the whole whole episode, not just the music, but the whole story itself. It's just so compelling, and one that sticks out to me. One of the one of the first things that came to my mind when I was thinking about you know my favorite scores, and this is one of the most recent episodes they did. So, yep, that's my number five. That's good. Uh, Jared has written some of my favorite favorite scores as well. Oh um, yeah, he's an inc- he's amazing, incredibly talented. Yes, as far as like I've spoken with him a number of times, and he loves doing those kind of things where you have the opportunity to do ethnic sounds and really broaden your musical palette. And his musical palette is so broad already. Um, and he plays a ton of instruments. I don't know if you know this. He's like, amazing. Yeah, he's so good. And all the composing I do is in my computer, like all synthetic sounds that sound real, um, but I don't bring a bassoon into my studio and record a bassoon. He does that kind of stuff. He His studio is set up where... And he plays a lot of them. I know he he hires people as well to do it. But he is... he's He cares so much uh, about the music he writes. And it definitely comes through. So I'm not surprised that you love... Uh, that episode so much now you need to go check that one out i know we're probably just gonna like be going back and forth saying you need to listen to this one again (laughs) or you need to listen to this one which is good yeah it gives us a new playlist exactly so back to you what's number four for you okay number four i'm 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 doing this actually twice so it's kind of cheating but it's not really cheating it's two episodes but they go together technically they don't have part one and part two after them but it's gone dot, 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 but not forgotten. Oh, yeah. So these episodes take place right after the first wit, Hal Smith, died. They had to quickly come up with a um, an album that 
took place after Wit leaves. So they created a storyline of Wit and Bernard, or Wit and Bernard, Eugene and Bernard going on a road trip, and they come back to Odyssey, and Wit's obviously gone, and they clip Wit's voice out of old episodes for just that one episode of Gone to make it sound like he was still there, um, but he's leaving Odyssey to obviously go serve as a missionary. Anyway, so that episode, starting with Gone, ending with But Not Forgotten, where Jack Allen comes and, you know, Connie doesn't like that Jack is there and she thinks he's trying to replace Wit, all that kind of stuff. So I remember the first time I heard these two episodes, for those of us who grew up listening to the old Wit, it's an incredibly emotionally charged episode. For sure. Because we had all heard, we knew... That Wit wasn't actually leaving Odyssey. Wit died. (laughs) Okay? The voice of Wit had died. And so it was so much more poignant. And it's just like one of those things when you experience something in history. And then later you try and tell people about it. It doesn't have the same effect. Because you remember living through it. And I, you know, the fact that no one really knew what was going to happen. Like, the voice of Wit is gone. So what are they going to do? They're making him leave Odyssey. Is he coming back to Odyssey? So all the characters are asking those questions like Scrub and Connie. We're like, well, what's going to, is this going to be Jason's end? Is this, you know, is he ever coming back? So obviously there, there's just a lot of feeling behind this, but the music, for example, a couple favorite moments when, so Eugene, the entire episode of gone is trying to chase wit down and say goodbye to him before he leaves. And then finally, he waves at Wit. Wit sees him from the plane window. And at the very end of the episode, Eugene uh, comes back to his dorm room that he hasn't been in because he's been on vacation with Bernard. Comes back to his dorm room. You know, everything's... It just You can feel all of the energy just die because he... Finally made it to the airport, said his goodbyes, but came back and still had all of these questions about Wit leaving. And his dorm room feels more lonely than normal. And as he's going through his mail, uh, he finds a letter from Wit. And the music, as soon as he finds the letter, there's like a little bling. Like, here's something that you're going to want to hear. And then Eugene reads this note from wit and how it ends with which i have up in my house actually the best is yet to come and then you have this well the whole thing is so sweet about how he's talking about eugene and how he's come to love eugene so much and then it ends with but the best is yet to come and then there's this beautiful somewhat sad outro and then swells to a big finish but then lands with in a major key like it's sad and then boom it settles and then it's that those i think it's nine notes i think it's seven notes you're right it's seven those beautiful seven notes that really do make you feel at home 
and it grounds you and it makes you feel like, okay, even though wit's gone, we're going to be fine, everybody. Um, so I've always loved that. And then in the, But Not Forgotten, there's this beautiful theme that I don't think is used in any other episodes. You know, a lot of times they've recycled music cues, um, especially in the early years, which I found out was pretty much for budgetary reasons, like early on before the show was making so much income, they would have John Campbell write certain cues and then they would use them in other shows. Most people probably recognize that that's happening. But the later you get into Odyssey, you start to hear more original content that's not used over and over again. And But Not Forgotten, I think, is one of those. And there's, uh, go back and listen to this, anybody who's listening. There's a beautiful motif, again, very different than Gone. And I'm sure John Campbell did this on purpose, where it's like, okay, Jack Allen's coming to town. He's going to have a prominent role in Odyssey. So I felt like he created, maybe this was his Jack Allen theme, or just like Odyssey trying to get along without wit theme, but it was so effective and just had a very homey, um, a sense of longing in what he wrote for it. And I love how it, it connected with like Connie struggling with the change as well as Scrub losing his tooth change and the tie-in between those two events. I just think it was a a really cool musical link and intro into a new phase of Odyssey. And I like that he didn't continue to use that theme. It was like, okay, wit's gone. We feel that hole. And then here comes Jack Allen and Odyssey getting used to life without wit. And there's this musical, like, we're going to be okay throughout that whole episode. And uh, it's really, really cool. So that's, one I love to go back to and listen and honestly just kind of wonder uh, what was in John Campbell's mind or what kind of notes he got for those two episodes. Because I think I think it was written very purposefully the way he did it. Yeah, he, he was probably, I am not sure if he had ever met, ever met Hal Smith, but he may have also been kind of just going to hit off his own emotions of it's true hearing this voice so much and working for it. So it's maybe kind of cathartic kind of to write music for or something like that. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't think about those episodes when I was making my list. But yeah, those that's a major part of it because it brings you on that journey, that emotional journey, and to the point that the writers want you to go on. Correct. Yep. All right. What's your four, number four, Austin? So mine is a two-parter called The Case of the Secret Room. Mm. And John Campbell did the music for this one. So good. Yeah, I, this is one of my favorite mysteries and Odyssey. Agreed. And I think one of the reasons why is the music. It has this very noir kind of music, like in this old detective genre. And you have that, you know, that kind of like jazzy feel, like that saxophone, electric keyboard, and bass. Yes. And also like that creepy music intro when like Chris talks about like, oh, we're going to, what's doing this? But it'll be something very dark and mysterious or whatever. It's just undertone. It's like very dark. Like the darkest at that point, And this is like just album two. But it was like the darkest, most ominous music we had ever gotten up to that point. There's other parts that it has that really creepy feeling too, especially like when they find the skeleton. Yep. But also certain points where there's just like these, uh, these some like I guess they're like musical stings. They go when it goes to different scenes, or like when James says like door, what door? The door behind the cabinet or whatever. And that yes, it's just a, like a little corridor or something like that there. But it just 
adds that musical punch there. It's so effective. It is. Like, the times where it can be, it kind of lean to that detective genre of being, you know, kind of, you know, like, oh, yeah, we're doing this kind of music. But also, at the points where, you know, it's supposed to be spooky, it, it does that. But, like, one of my favorite music cues, I know they use this in other episodes. Like, I think they used it in Heat Wave, maybe some of the Horror Doyle episodes. But, you know, da 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 Yes. Yes. Very well done, Austin. I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's super, super memorable episode in so many ways. And the music is one of those aspects. Oh, man, that is such a good one. I'm surprised. You know, you said about Gone but Not Forgotten. It didn't make you cry. <laughs> it Exactly. That's why. But it really is, honestly, like you said, number one, one of the best mysteries odyssey's ever had and i think it was because it was so early on and so different than the other stuff that they had done boy it really stood out and yeah the music is an important part of that like when get wit gets shoved into the boxes and how the episode closes super dramatic you know that really cold chilling like creepy yes yes not as good a representation with that one i apologize (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I I still know what it is, though. I think that's the, the beauty of it. Everyone's still going to recognize it. Um, yeah, so well done. Great choice, Austin. So, I'm sure you're probably going to have another great choice for your number four, but I don't know what it is yet, so why don't you solve that mystery for me? Well, I'm on number three now, Austin. Oh, number three. Okay, I'm, I'm <laughs> in the dark here. Like, I'm, wow. It's a mystery. Where did Austin's like, lovery system wait. go? <laughs> Am I supposed to have two fours? Okay. 2.5 or 4.5. Alright, number three. Yes, my number three uh, is another two-parter. We're we're really going strong here in the two-parter department. And you know what? There's probably a reason for that because it gives time for the music to develop over two episodes. You know, there's a little more continuity there uh, when you do it this way. So two-parter, The Mortal Coil. And uh, we talked a little bit uh, about how I tapped into this episode uh, to write the music for Always Home. And the, oh man, there's so much to say about this episode as well. Wit, we don't get to see Wit's flaws very often. And this episode showed some of Wit's flaws. And one of them being he um, allowed his desire to be home with his family in heaven to take him to places he shouldn't have gone and create a program for the Imagination Station that he shouldn't have created. So the very first musical thing that really caught my attention very early on in the episode, you know, Connie is like trying to figure out what Wit's doing, finds out, you know, he's created this new program. He's kind of out of it. Like he's just not the wit we all know. He's kind of detached Connie can't really get him to focus. He's been up all night working on this program. And then finally he gets in and tries it. And then Eugene comes in. Wit goes, you know, silent. They open it. You know, they panic. Eugene stops the program. Wit comes out and they're kind of like, Wit, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like weirdly chill. And Eugene and Connie are like, really taken aback, like, what just happened? And why is he acting this way? And the music behind it 
fits the like, this is unsettling to hear wit in this frame of mind. That was the first thing that I noticed that I was like, ooh, this is this is super effective with what he's doing here. Uh, also written by John Campbell. And then later, uh, obviously, for those of you who don't know the story, Wit has what they think is a minor heart attack because he tries the program again. And uh, then Tom, good old Tom Riley, uh, Wit's best friend, comes to his bedside at the very end of the first episode and has this really powerful monologue with Wit about like, listen, I, I get it. I get you want to be home, but you're playing with stuff you shouldn't be playing with and you are needed here. There's this really cool, again, original theme that I was like, this must be the Tom and Wit theme uh, because it hasn't been played like this before. Correct me if I'm wrong, people, but I don't think it's been played since. Yeah, I don't think so. At le- yeah, at least not to, uh, in a prominent storyline like this so the combination of just that like emotional friendship bond that wit and tom have and you know in a similar stage of life the music really brings out that like that feeling of longing and the the desire to be home and yet that like i don't know that undercurrent of you're needed here now so I thought it was brilliantly composed and used again throughout that episode. And again, I recycled it in a new way. Like I didn't pull that music for Always Home, but I used that theme because I was like, well, if, you know, if it's another Wit and Tom episode, I feel like this theme should make a comeback. Mm-hmm. So I brought that back. And another cool musical moment when Wit's walking through his house and Jenny's there, his wife, and Jerry, who passed away in Vietnam. There's this cool ethereal, because obviously it's supposed to feel like he's in heaven. So there's this like very airy, ethereal light synth that so fits the tone of like, where are we? It almost feels like a dream, but is it heaven? Is wit dying? This is so weird. With just very simple piano elements like you mentioned sometimes just solo piano or just one instrument on top of a a synth pad is way more effective than full orchestral stuff and that does exactly that in that scene where it's just simple piano and that's obviously the transition of him coming out of it in the hospital and everyone's reunited and it's a happy ending and wit's here to stay but yeah mortal coil parts one and two beautiful music go back and listen to it yeah it is it is really good score and also too you didn't bring up the part where eugene tries the imagination station program and how dark that gets as well Mm. and like when connie's calling him on on his voicemail thing like that's like very very dark like we don't actually because you know it's a little bit it's quite a bit different of course two different places that happen in the afterlife where they don't go as much into detail for hell but they have the music there gives you that feeling that darkness that coldness or not as a cold but you know that separation kind of thing and just you know like will ryan like his just kind of like like his breathing out of and breath like that yeah it's yeah it's again another another way that the music just you know paints that picture in your mind of what what's happening and leads you on that kind of journey of what their script is supposed to 
you know, lead you into what's happening with the characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a very pivotal episode too. When you, you know, you mentioned Eugene, you know, him and Connie's conversation explaining what had happened and him saying, well, you're going to have to tell me everything, you know, as far as Eugene's faith journey is concerned, pivotal, pivotal moment. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's my three. And I'm so ready to hear yours, Austin. Is it a two-parter? Tell me that much. It's actually the only other single-parter on my list. Okay, all right, let's hear it. Okay, so this one is actually in the same album as the last episode I talked about. And that is The Day Independence Came. Oh, no way! I love it. You are... (laughs) You're good. You're good. Well, the crazy thing about this episode is it's not done by John Campbell or Joe DePasquale or any other composers. It's all stock music, and that just amazes me. I did not know that. Yeah, it's, I think they talk about in the official guide, and the kind of what we're talking about here is, like, for the music, is something that sticks out to us, and really, just like the sound design, or, like, the sound effects, the music also isn't supposed to detract from the story, it's supposed to complement it. Right. If you're noticing it, that means it's going to be either super, super good, or super, super bad. It's supposed to be there, it's supposed to complement, it's not supposed to compete with it. But in this case, I think the music does, it elevates the story, but it also stands alone on its own, and it's good. Like, I remember, you know, bum, 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 and all that. Yeah. It's like a perfect music for, like, the, you know, the period of the colonial America, and it sticks in your head. It's like, this is, it's not a song, it's just music, but it sticks in your head, even after listening to the episode. I can't remember what the original company was, it, you could actually hear it and buy the tracks for it, I think it's something called Omni, and last time I checked the website, it no longer exists, <laughs> but it is such a great, like, I know because I've worked on audio dramas myself, and a lot of stuff I've used is like for stock music, and I know finding the right stock music to fit a story is very, very right. difficult. Incredibly. And you don't have someone composing it for all that. And that they were able to pull that off. Again, this is like 1987, 88, something like that, where you don't have as much of a... It's harder to find that kind of music. And it's so iconic. Like, that's one of the things that when people talk about this episode is the music. That's one, th- that's one of the major things that people think about that. And, you know, oh, wow, oh, wow. Like, those are the two things people remember the most about those episodes most often that I can... I can see, but it's just so amazing. I'm not sure if you've seen that. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there's an Odyssey fan. He actually did a piano arrangement of all the musical scores from the episodes in like one video, him playing the no piano. No way. Yeah. I'll have that link to the podcast notes and I'll, I'll send you the link to that so you can watch it, but it's super cool. Please do. That's amazing. And I, I'm curious, do you, in your, you know, discovery of this, did they say why they decided to use stock? Was it that John wasn't available or didn't have the capability to write this type of music? Well, I think it's been while, it's been a while since I read the official guide, but I think it was just a an issue probably of John Campbell not being available or okay. like you mentioned, like any budgetary issues. Because I know there was a few episodes, I think like Mike Makes Right, I think, is an episode that wasn't read by John Campbell. Was another one? That one wasn't stock okay. music, but someone else did that one, but... I think that was one of the very few instances in all of Odyssey where they used stock music. After that, you know, like they talked about, like if if they used music that wasn't specifically made for that episode, it was just episode like music from older mm-hmm. episodes. This is one of the few times I think they just did stock music that was not from their you know library made for Odyssey, and it stands out as some of the most iconic music, and it fits well. It stands out. It doesn't stand out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I don't know what the opposite of a sore thumb would be. A healthy thumb. <laughs> but it just, it's very, it's very memorable and it's very good. 
It's true. And it, I feel like it was one of their very early historical adventure ones. Mm-hmm. So it was an important episode to make it, to make work, you know? Yeah. It whetted everyone's appetites for more of that. Because Odyssey has really done a good job with their historical episodes. Every, t- you know, Lincoln and the day Independence came, you know, all of these ones, all the way up, you know, to current. I remember the um, Underground Railroad, Civil War one. Um, they just have done, I feel like they've been so careful with their historical episodes to make them super engaging, but also obviously historically accurate. And uh, the music, they seem to really focus on the music for those as well. So, yeah, great choice. All right. I think we're to number two, if I got that correct. You're correct. All right. So what's your choice for that one? I'm going to build suspense here for a moment with, with number two and talk briefly about, you mentioned that they've asked other composers. I've always found that really interesting and a fun challenge for me when I'm listening to Odyssey episodes to be able to tell, because John Williams, John Williams, (laughs) John Campbell, two very talented Johns. John Campbell uh, has composed for so many of the episodes. I find it a fun challenge to to listen. And when I'm re-listening to all of the episodes, which ones I can be like, oh, that is not John. I can tell that is not John. Then I go online, you know, the Odyssey wiki or whatever, and find out if I'm right or not. And most of the time... I am right. Because John has a very specific sound that we all know and love that's developed over the years, but we it's just so John. So there's been a few composers they brought in that have, I think, tried to mimic his style a little bit. But it, to me, it's always like a dead giveaway. This is, this is not the work of Campbell. <laughs> and when I wrote, I was trying to toe that line because I'm like, I never loved when a composer approaches an Odyssey episode so incredibly different than, you know, because I think of like Star Wars and things like that. When they have some of the newer stuff, they're changing a little bit. But like the offshoot shows, they all typically try to at least tap into what John Williams did for all of the original films because they don't want it to sound too different from what everyone's used to. And I feel like that's the norm. Obviously, every composer is going to bring something different to a story, which is great and which is why people and companies and directors hire different composers because they want that unique sound for each individual show. But there is this essence of you want to keep it in that like this is what people are used to and the home base crowd loves it. So when I was writing for it, I'm like, okay, I want to sound, I don't want to be John Campbell, but I want to sound close to what he's doing so it's not like people are listening to the episode being like this doesn't sound right because it's not john um i'd rather have people be like well the music's great but not really focus on who wrote the music because it's so vastly different anyway it's a fun little game for everyone who wants to challenge yourself musically listen to uh episodes and try and figure out if it's campbell or a a non-campbell all right Number two, for me, we're going way back. I'm glad you've picked a few old ones as well, because all of mine are old. (laughs) This is one that, oh man, yeah, both of my top two, I would say, stuck with me the longest, and maybe were more influential in guiding, like, my desire to work with Odyssey someday, musically, uh, than most other episodes and this one was Karen oh nice for a number of different reasons I thought it was 
such a cool way that John weaved in a hymn. You know, we, we, we don't get that all that often. He does it sometimes. This is not the only iteration of him doing it. It's probably the first. Obviously, they did the episode Hymn Writers, where they did a bunch of hymns and talked about the history of hymns. But Karen uh, has the opportunity, you know, the story, she gets cancer, it gets, they think they fixed it, then it gets worse. She wants to be part of the talent show at their school. She wants to do a dance. Obviously, she loses a leg in her fight against cancer, so she can't do that. So she decides to read the lyrics to a hymn called No Night There. And as she's reading the hymn, John, in a very simple way, plays the the melody to the hymn under her reading of it. And then that obviously continues in a later episode. I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but... Uh, I think it's The Very Best of Friends. That's it. The Very Best of Friends. They bring that hymn back because Donna is kind of reliving all of that. Donna is best friends with Karen and has a hard time throughout the entire episode of Karen watching her go through that and then it's a great episode about dealing with grief but anyway that song comes back again and it's just a cool connection musical connection with their friendship Um, but then also obviously there's some incredibly powerful scenes in that I remember Donna's mom taking Donna aside and telling her like Karen lost her leg you know telling a child that you just can't I think that's probably why this whole episode stood out to me number one a child going through that number two a child watching their best friend go through that and so you have some of those moments of I can't imagine how hard this is and again John has children John Campbell and you wonder how much having his own kids helped him lean into stories like this and then my favorite scene in this whole episode is when Karen is telling it's the last scene for Karen, who's an incredible actress. It's um, Sage Bolte who plays Robin as well. She did such a good job in this episode, but she's telling Donna about her dream. Oh yeah. And there's such a, it, it finds that beautiful balance of, of sadness mixed with hope for Karen that, you know, the doctors think I'm going to die. And that starts the, like, what's going to happen here? And then she talks about her dream and how how hopeful that was for her. And then at the very end, when they're saying goodbye, Karen says it in such a, like, you know what's coming. Like, goodbye, Donna. It's such, she says it with such finality. And then the music again takes a, a sad turn at that moment. So that whole scene as well as the whole episode is just brilliantly done in my opinion to me these are the types of episodes which again i'm showing my bias in the in the type of episodes i'm i'm choosing but i think greatness in the musical realm is shown in these episodes that require such an emotional depth to them i think that's why i tend towards these types of episodes because the content that John has to score. I think they're some of the best stories in Odyssey. They're just so well done, so well acted. So then the music, I think, automatically shines brighter because it's like 
everyone's doing their best in these episodes. Not that there's, you know, obviously we have favorites that we think are are better and some are, are more like run of the mill. They can't all be, you know, mm-hmm. hit shows. But I just think they're typically, they all go hand in hand. Well written, well acted. The music, boom, comes out of the woodwork. Love it. Karen's a great episode. Yep, definitely. <laughs> if you need a good cry, go go ahead. Go ahead and listen. Okay, I am ready for number two. You've already tipped your tipped your hat, tipped your hand, tipped your hat, <laughs> tipped your hand. Which one is it? Uh, show your show hand. Your hand. You've you shown your hand. <laughs> That's it. With cards, I'm mixing my metaphors. Uh, it's a two parter. It's a two parter. Well, at least, at least three parter. No, it's two parter. Four parter. No, it's a two parter. No. It's a 12-parter. Novacom! No, that's actually a 28-parter, pretty much. But <laughs> this is... Well, that's true. <laughs> this is the Green Ring Conspiracy, parts 1 through 12. Oh, but okay. But most specifically, part 2. Now, John Campbell doesn't often do this. I know Jared DePasquale is really... This is kind of like his shtick, where he does a lot of character themes for characters in an episode. I love, in this episode, where... Because you have so many moving parts of the different storylines. We have, you know, Penny and Connie at the college. We have Wit and Detective Pullhouse and things with Monty and all that going on. And you also have the perspective of, like, the bad guys with Buck Oliver and Mr. Skint. And I love it how every scene that has either one or both of them in it has a very southern swampy kind of feel to the music. A banjo, a dobro, things like that. And it's like a signal, like, oh, yeah, we're going back to these characters. Yes. And it's continued throughout all those episodes. On top of that, there's also a theme that he kind of writes for the whole series that's not just in the Buck and Skint scenes. Something like, um... Something like that, and it's repeated. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that would be a motif or light motif. Would that be a light motif or just a motif if it was repeated? Light motif. Okay. Yeah. Either one works. Okay. So, and in part two especially, that's when we hear Buck and Mr. Skint for the first time. And I love the intro for the episode because it introduces us to that that southern kind of musical feel there. It's one of my favorite opening music cues for Odyssey. And about 11 minutes in or so, after Mr. Skin talks about, you know, I don't trust anybody, so they wouldn't trust me or something like that. And then it almost kind of mixes the regular music we're getting in the non-Buck and Skint scenes and their kind of motif or whatever. And it gets kind of more high energy there. And it's such a cool transition scene. It's super, super cool. Also, even though we have that, and I know you probably have to, you know, talk with people about different projects when you're composing too, is where to use music and where not to use yes. music. Yes. And in part 12, where Buck has to make a decision of whether or not he's going to go with Mr. Skin or not, there's a scene transition before that, but they talk for a long time and it's a very emotional and hard scene. Like, the actors are great, but... Uh, Buck's played by Robbie Bruce, and Mr. Skin, I think, is... Oh, his name escapes me. Anyway, the actor that plays both of them, they had this... Because they're basically... They're almost like father and son, and he has to make this really tough decision, and there's no music. None whatsoever. It's mm. And it's very little ambiance. They're in a trailer, and it just... You focus in on their voices. Like, it's a time that you could have had music. 
I don't, I'm not sure if that was, you know, a directing thing from Paul McCusker, whoever was doing the sound design or whatever, to John, or if John just chose to do that, because John Campbell did the music for all 12 episodes. But that's just also the point where it shows that, you know, the Odyssey team, they know when to do music, when not to, because you can have music for a lot of stuff and, like, you know, throw everything at the wall, see if it sticks, but you have to be very purposeful mm-hmm. in where you put that music. And that's a point where you expect it, but you don't need it, because just the emotion, the acting from the actors is all you need there. That's so true. And, you know, that for John, from what I understand, John Campbell is so good at Odyssey and so, like, has such a grasp of what Odyssey is. And obviously, he created the musical landscape for this entire show. So they trust him so much. And he, uh, from what I understand, and it, it probably depends on the director, but I think a lot of them don't even give John notes anymore. So when I got an episode, a couple episodes, I wanted notes because I'm, you know, I haven't been in the world of Odyssey for a long time. So I wanted their gut instincts about when to put music in, when not to put music in. But John is just so good that they trust him to to put music. So I'm guessing that was a John choice with the with the no music scene. Obviously, if there's something really specific they want, they'll they'll say but they they trust his instincts as they should and john is so good at those that uh you know you mentioned swampy feel that country americana folk vibe i think john really shines in those types of cues that he does kind of like a relatively annoying yeah alice is with his grandparents he does a lot of that in that episode or anytime there's like uh you know there's been multiple times like when tom riley does a fake commercial or some of the rap, uh, Electric Palace commercials are like purposely twangy and twang. What twang? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, he, I think, has so much fun with those episodes, and honestly, the the uh, Novacom as well with not just acoustic stuff, but more the electronic, poppy type cues. Man, he he has done such a, a wide variety for Odyssey. So, great, great choice on number two. I'm not sure if it's fair there were 12 episodes. I mean, come on, Austin. <laughs> well, I did say part two is for, like, the most standout one there, so... You're right. That's true. All right. All right. But, yeah, it's all kind of connected, because especially because he ties all those episodes. Because you can have, if you have that long of episodes for that specific one, it's very much more tightly knit than Novacom was. Yes. So there's a, a chance for him to really create a theme for that whole thing that's true and it carries out throughout and you hear it in so many ways like even like the last episode a very high energy ending scene and you hear that same motif whatever ramped up to almost like 11 all that is really good but like just part two specifically which it's kind of hard to tell when you're when they don't have like a specific name for each episode like a lot of novacom did like just part one part two whatever it's hard to remember what happens in which episode but part two is one I have very easily remembering it because of that intro. And hearing Buck and Skin, that episode, for the first time. Yeah. Proof that music's very effective. Yeah. You know? Jogs your memory. All right. So, lots riding on this. This is number one. What's your number one Oof. choice? Yeah, there's... <laughs> I... Oof. I can hear the drum roll right now. The number one choice in Aaron's top five Adventures in Odyssey musical scores is... Recollections, which is one of the very earliest Odyssey episodes. Yep. Big episode because it's a historical... So much happens in this episode when it comes to Odyssey history. 
we meet and figure out who Jenny is. Like we, we see their interaction, you know, we don't have a lot of wit and his wife interaction. So we, we see that a little bit in the beginning. We see how Wit's End came to be um, and how it started as the Fillmore Recreation Center, how Wit wanted nothing to do with it at first, and then his change of heart, and then his acquiring of the Fillmore Recreation Center. Anyway, so it's it really is a pivotal, even though it's very early on in Odyssey history, it's pivotal in knowing how Wit's End came to be and why Wit is the way he is and all this kind of stuff. So to me, the scene, and this is why it stood out to me, the entire scene of Wit shows up at the hospital, he's talking to the doctor, Jenny, you know, passed out at the uh, city council meeting. Wit comes and is talking to the doctor and clearly does not understand the severity of what happened to Jenny. And it isn't until the doctor says, well, that's what I want to talk to you about. Because Wit says, you know, well, that'll be a lesson to her next time. And the doctor says, well, that's what I need to talk to you about. And that's when, that's when the music comes in. There is no music up until that point. Um, and as soon as the music comes in, it is one of my all-time favorite Odyssey themes. It has been used a couple times since uh, Recollections. But I think most effectively in Recollections. And so we suddenly understand the severity of the situation. And then Wit goes in and, and talks to, to Jenny and realizes this is his last time talking to Jenny. And then, you know, Jenny says some things about how Wit, you know, has made life wonderful and a wonderful home for their kids. And mostly just piano. If you go and re-listen to it, there's, I think, some strings underneath it as well. Um, but mostly just a beautiful solo piano that highlights and accentuates everything that's being said in this last conversation with Wit and his wife. And to me, it's the same sort of like musical energy as for those of you who have seen the movie Up, the love story element of um, that we get very little insight on in Odyssey. I just picture like this world of Up where the main focus of that film is Carl and Ellie's relationship, love story. Even though Ellie's out of the picture for most of the, the movie, the musical theme for their marriage and the sad element of that is so powerful. And I've met so many people who were like, don't notice music really. But in that movie, we're like, oh my goodness, I cried in the first 10 minutes. It's that same sort of, I think, relationship, love story, sadness of losing your loved one energy is in recollections. And that whole scene of like, whoa, this is so heavy, but beautiful at the same time. And then my other favorite uh, part in this, you know, Wit kind of gets bitter and angry, understandably so, and wants nothing to do with the Fillmore Recreation Center until he walks by the place and meets a little girl named Jenny. And as soon as, you know, he, he has a conversation with her, which again, no music under that, which I think is effective. And there's really no music until she gets called home. You hear her mom call the little girl. And you hear her say, Jenny, it's time to go home or whatever. And Wit all of a sudden realizes this little girl's name is Jenny. And she just talked about how sad she is about losing 
this place that she plays and all this kind of stuff. And the music suddenly brings all of those emotions that you hear back earlier in the episode, but in a different light because it's more, it's warmth rather than just sorrow. There's this warmth of remembrance of his wife and a sudden new resolve for basically that he's, he's going to keep or fight for the Fillmore Recreation Center and uh, make it what it is today, what we know it is today, the wit's end. So to me, the most effectively uh, done episode, musically speaking, because that episode moves me arguably more than, than any other episode. So I'd have to go with Recollections. You know it's effective when you're describing that, and I'm picturing that scene again, and I'm starting to tear up. <laughs> I know! It's powerful stuff, man. Yeah, I definitely need to go back and read. I'm, I'm not sure if I've ever noticed before, like, that's the same music that goes under that scene. But I kind of know the music from the hospital scene, and you're describing that to me, and this picture, and like, oh, man, that's, that's really powerful. Like, woo! It is, yes. Yeah. And to me... Yeah, just the, the brilliance of... To me, it, it, it makes so much sense why Odyssey took off because they they did these early stories so, so well that I think people were probably just floored that they could tell such great stories just with audio, sound effect, like voices, sound effects, and music and really make it so memorable, so powerful that... Yeah, to me, I'm like, they set the course for Odyssey so strong and set the foundation so strong that it's no wonder it's been going for 35 plus years. Yeah, that's a good choice. Actually, it probably shouldn't come to surprise to me since I know you were so influenced by, the, by that for Always Home. But yeah, that's yeah. a super good choice. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your number one. I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay, so you'll be happy about this one because it has to do a lot with Tom Riley. Oh, yes. So this is a two-parter. It's called The Pact. <gasps> oh my goodness, I forgot about this one. Yes, yeah, so this is a, this is these are episodes that have just gotten better with age. I remember hmm. hearing it was a weird thing. Like I back when I was listening to Odyssey on the radio, like, I didn't hardly ever get any of the al albums, but I missed hearing part one on the radio. So I only heard part two in, like, the recap for it. Interesting. Okay. I later got the... My parents bought me the album of that, and I got to listen to the first part there. But more recently, within the past year or two, I was listening to that. And this may be, along with probably, like, the last one I mentioned for um, part two of The Green Conspiracy is... One of my favorite opening music scores for an episode. It's it's kind of a cold open. We hear Chris and now Adventures in Odyssey. We hear Mandy walking to walking into Hillendale Haven, and you know, oh Riley, and then you just hear this kind of this soft kind of gentle music, and then I think it picks up a little bit when like Agnes thinks, oh it's you, I knew the day was coming, and then she asks her like what's what's your name? She said Mandy. She said Mandy. That's not it. And then the music just drops and you hear no music for like a couple seconds. And then Agnes is kind of like, what are you doing here? And the music starts up again. It's so indicative of the story and how the music is going to be later. And just treating that story and Agnes's illness and her just confusion, it treats it with a respect. There's like a warm feeling there. There's always a sense of kind mm -hmm. of like 
not necessarily uneasiness, but just kind of a, it's a mystery. It is a mystery episode. It's not the conventional mystery we all usually think of for Odyssey. Right. And it just has so much, it just draws, because a lot of it's mixed with nostalgia. It's a lot of it's recalling her past and her history. And then Tom kind of relating some stuff. It also has probably my favorite music for flashbacks ever in part two where we hear uh, Agnes or Rose and Joe at camp and their meetings. I just love the music that John Campbell uses for that. Some flashback music can be very, you know, kind of cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. But this, it's very unique. And it uses kind of some variation of it and the other flashbacks leading up to it. I just love it. It has also this, you know, that sparkly tinkling kind of sound along with it it's just it's just beautiful and like the whole the story itself you know it's surprising it you know lets us know a lot more about agnes who we hardly ever hear on the show you know connection to tom and it's 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 a beautiful story it's a beautiful episode and the score is just beautiful like it's not just well produced it's just beautiful because Mm -hmm. it's so deep it's not you know real bombastic it's not, you know, super over-orchestrated or whatever. It's the perfect... It's like, if there's ever an episode that had a perfect score with it, this is probably pretty close to perfect right here. Yeah, that is a solid choice. I remember hearing The Pact the first time and being so captivated. Like, I was on the edge of my seat. Why, you know, just the, the wonderance of why does Mandy look familiar? who is this Joe girl and then finding out it's Joanne and then finding out that Mandy and Joanne looked like exactly alike as yeah. kids and those. So it had so many of these like amazing reveals, but also had this feeling like, like you said, the nostalgia, the the throwback of, you know, simpler times gone by. And yeah, the music was so effectively done and so unique, so original clearly a lot of heart went into the making of that episode definitely man that's a good choice that is one of the few episodes and i'm sure you have i'm sure most odyssey fans could pick out a few episodes probably typically the more than one parter that could be films i've always thought the pact would make a great film obviously you'd have to revamp it because it's characters you you know it wouldn't translate exactly, but that whole idea of, you know, someone being familiar to someone, but you're not sure why, and then you find out the history and would make a phenomenal film. And which really shows the talent of the Adventures in Odyssey writing team. Like they've, so many of the stories literally are, are better than what's on TV. That episode is really good. It's, it's Nathan Hilbert wrote that episode. It's one of his best stories. And Nathan's one of those kind of people. He loves having callbacks and bringing back old characters back. Mm-hmm. And that, I think it's probably one of his, his best, his best attempts at doing that. And it's, it's just perfect. Yeah. Agreed. So were there some honorable mentions that you had that didn't quite make the top five? Yeah, I had one major, which again, I think would have made a phenomenal film. Mysterious Stranger, parts one and two. That's another, another phenomenal and awesome. Another fun, yes, phenomenal Odyssey mystery, and just so much. Uh, I don't know if darker is the right word. It, it definitely is darker than most yeah. uh, of their episodes. It has a print of warning on it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, if you've got, you know, isn't it normally? Is it Dave Arnold that normally comes on and warns us all, or is it 
Bolty. Yeah, well, that episode, I'm not sure who it is. He doesn't, he doesn't say his name, but I'm pretty certain that he was done, like, stuff for the the daily broadcast and like that in the past. But he doesn't say who it is. Okay. In that one, at least. Okay. There's They have a few different people that come on and, and warn us. But, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, that was like the, whew, I've got to get out of here and get my parents if this is going to be a scary one. But uh, it has, over time, become um, one of my favorites. And the music, I think they... John Campbell did the the paranoia yeah. element of like is Kent crazy or is he onto something like does he remember this place he towed that line musically amazingly and it was eerie there's like twilight zone vibes to it a little bit too where you're like you're just unsettled the entire episode cuz you cannot figure out what's going on and Kent does such a good job the guy who played ken being like somewhat unstable but not super unstable anyway when you brought up case of the secret room it made me think of one of the other great mysteries which i would consider the mysterious stranger kudos to john for scoring that so well yeah absolutely what about you do you have any yeah i actually got i got a few most of these Actually, all these are like multi-parters. So like Malachi's message, mm. three-parter from that John Campbell did. Yeah. Again, another theme where he goes like, da, 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 da. like it's one that's repeated. I guess a motif throughout several of the episodes. It also has that kind of thoughtful, like kind of the sense of wonder. Like, is this person an angel or not? Yes. And also like some pensive. Kind of, yeah, it's like ethereal in some places, kind of. You know, mm-hmm. that, you know, that tinkling crystal kind of sound with it. Yes. That's one of my favorite episodes. I think one of the best episodes of Odyssey and music does so much for that episode too. One is more recent. It's a six parter from album 73 called 28 hours. I'm not sure if you heard it yet, but if you enjoyed, I'm not, sure, I'm not going to spoil anything. I know people listening to the podcast probably have heard it, but if you haven't yet, you mentioned a certain story arc earlier. And if you like that one, you're really going to enjoy this one. But John Campbell goes out of his normal, routine or his normal he basically pushes pushes boundaries when it comes to what he does with music and he also has like a motif or theme for that too i can't get it off my top of my head right now i haven't listened to as many of the other episodes but it's repeated and especially in i think the fourth episode of that called dead of night the ending for that episode the cliffhanger that happens it's kind of this shock it's like it's a literal bit not necessarily literal a shock whatever that happens it's like one of the most creepy and amazing cliffhangers ever in odyssey and he just kind of leans into this like he's like electronic kind of music and it's kind of driving force to it and then it has this kind of screech and i'm not quite sure how to describe it but it's one of those things that yeah this cliffhanger is amazing but the music is just making you drive home that fact this how is this happening (laughs) it's it's really it's really really impressive you mentioned um, some of these electronic stuff, like with uh, Novacom, the Plan B series, a four-parter for that. So good. Especially Collision Course and Resistance. A lot of people, we talk about like Novacom music, we're basically talking about the electric guitar, the keyboard, that bass or cymbals or whatever. With that, that's where it kind of starts. And it it ups the stakes, I think, in a lot of ways, music-wise, for the series. Like, okay, this is getting really serious. because We have people dying left and right. We have people being threatened and breaking in and entering and all this kind of stuff. And it just goes great in giving you that, okay, this is, this is new territory here. And also like the chase scene where Jack is in the cab and being yes. driven with the cabbie. Like the music through that is really epic. 
And then also we have, you know, in Resistance, uh, the last of the four parts, and it's into that album, Wit and Connie at Mitch's funeral or his memorial. And that beautiful, somber, sad, the hopeful music there from John Campbell is just so incredible and just tugs at your heartstrings in such a way. I know they've used that music for like some official podcasts, like tribute podcasts of some actors that passed away. It's one of the most memorable, those kind of pieces of music that it's sad. Yeah, it's just kind of like a, a thoughtful piece too. My last one here is kind of a two-parter, but it's kind of almost an 11-parter, but it's from Darkness Before Dawn, Checkmate, and Another Chance during the Blacker Chronicles. Yes. And it took me a while to realize it, but John Campbell did not do all those episodes' music. Tim Hosman wrote those two episodes' of music. And, like, a lot of the music for the Blacker Chronicles, I don't remember that much, except for me, Waylay in the Windy City, to a certain extent. But this one, it's different. The music is, like, more of a warm and mellow sound. And it's a little more understated than a lot of that's happening. Hmm. And it's also really cool how they use it under... I think they use Tim Hosman's theme, I think, a little bit. Or his music underneath a lot of the recaps for the episodes, like, previously on. Those two episodes, I know Michael Faber, a uh, frequent guest host on this podcast, I think he believes that's, like, the best episode music from the Blacker Chronicle series. And I really like it quite a bit. It's very understated in a lot of places you again you may not notice it but again the music's supposed to be like that where you don't notice it but it's also sticks out as being a memory like if you think about the music of that i think that's ones that stand out more for good reason and also like the music going under blackard's laugh when he finally gets wit's end because you have earl bowen just rich and resonant just villain laugh there and the tim hosman's music going up with that laugh too oh it's so good so good oh man that yeah i i'll have to go back and listen to that because it's not i can't think of exactly because i think i probably assumed it was john Mm -hmm. because i think most of that album is john so i'll have to go back and and listen for that yeah it it is so it's so cool it's odyssey is such a great job with music oh my goodness great composer phenomenal and one of the reasons i think i remember why the music from the car chase scene from uh plan b collision course is back in the day they for the 500th episode of odyssey that kind of retrospective thing they had a clip show they had a cd just a cd of that episode plus some bonus content that wasn't in the episode but you could put that cd into your computer and has kind of game in there where you could it i can't remember what it was called it was like music master or music match or something like that where you would hear like five or six scenes or clips of just the voices and sound effects, I think, and the music. You could hear each one separately, and then you had to choose from which which music went with which scene. And you could hear that music under each scene until you got it right. So no way. that car chase scene was one of those things that you could do. And it's like it's such a cool thing. I remember as a kid because it wasn't the first computer like Odyssey had a computer game before that, but this one was kinda cool. Like most of the episodes I had heard, but some were like more recent episodes like during nineteen ninety nine, nineteen ninety eight, something like that, two thousand. But it was a really cool way to match that music with it i had never seen that before is there like a youtube video of anyone like doing that or playing it or i'm not sure i know i still have it i still have it and i know it was later included on the the odyssey computer games later on i still have the cd so maybe i'll maybe i should uh pop that into my computer sometime and record that if it, nobody else has done that already please do because i'd be so curious to hear that and how fun that you could lay different music under that didn't fit, but it would still be interesting to hear those episodes with different music under it. Yeah. Odyssey's so 
creative. Yeah, it's They're awesome. So good at that stuff. And I love it also too in the club. I wish they do this for the regular albums, but for each club season they have, they put the musical soundtrack yes. for those episodes on there. It's not every single music cue, right? But it's a, a a bunch of them kind of stitched together, and it's a really cool. I know they talked about in Clubhouse magazine, I think a while back, about like making that a game where. Somebody will play a little bit of a music cue, and the other person has to guess what which episode that comes from. So I think that'd be a really really fun party game. It would, yeah. And I think it's cool that Odyssey is finally doing soundtracks. Like, as I think there's enough interest there, and the music's so good, it deserves to have its own its own platform, if you will. Yeah. Well, this has been so much fun, Aaron. Oh my goodness. Agreed. I was so happy that you agreed to be on the podcast. And like I said, you're the perfect fit for this topic. And hearing your perspective, you know, growing up listening to Odyssey and what went into your thought process, you know, composing for Odyssey and your appreciation for music as a whole. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Austin. I was honored that you asked. And it is it is so fun for me to be able to talk with a fellow Odyssey fan because Typically, I've met a lot of people who listen to like Adventures in Odyssey growing up who are familiar with the show, but there's very few I could, like I can with you, talk about specific moments or specific music cues and specific storylines and get like really, really excited because honestly, working for Odyssey was on my bucket list of, of life um, because it had such an impact on me, not just in my career path, but walk with the Lord and just the shaping of my worldview and all that kind of stuff. So I get excited about Odyssey probably more than the average person in my circle. Appreciate you doing this podcast and bringing attention to what I literally call the, I did a blog post recently calling why I think Adventures in Odyssey is the greatest show on earth. Uh, I really truly firmly believe that. And I think the legacy that it has and the history that it has proves it. So keep up the good work and keep up what you do. Well, thank you very much. And listeners, if you want to know more about Aaron, keep track of all of his adventures and projects he's working on. I'll have links to his social media and his website in the, in the podcast notes and the article he mentioned. You can read that as well. So thanks again, Aaron. Thank you, Austin. Now, I want to hear from you all. What are some of your favorite Odyssey musical moments? So you can do that by emailing me at odysseygeek at gmail.com. You can also check me out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Odyssey Geek. Remember that's spelled O D Y double S E Y G double E K. And make sure to share this podcast with those in your life that you know are Odyssey Geeks as well. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I really appreciate you listening along, and I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Have a great day. Hey there, are you still listening? Good, because I have something to tell you. In my conversation with Aaron, I mentioned that Odyssey Jukebox game. Well, after a recording, I decided to dig out that game and play it on my computer. And since Aaron wanted to see it, and I don't see any place online where there's a recording of how this game works, I decided to do that myself. So if you want to know more about this minigame, Take a look at the podcast notes for this episode and you'll find the link to it. Enjoy!